Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. I'm on the phone right now with, yeah. the, with the guy who brought us Ed's case okay. in the first place with one of his best friends. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for I will. Not to do the law school plan you. Thank you. Does Kim know? Kim knows. Uh, halfway through the phone call, I thought... Shoot, I should have let it be recorded. I'm sorry, Bobby. <laughs> right. Oh, Kristen, one of the students recorded part of it. Oh, my God. <sighs> Talk about a roller coaster. Oh, I gotta get my shit together. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Episode 231, August 21st. 2016. I have to admit that as Allison and I were walking out of the prison, I was overcome with emotion. I had to walk away from Ed, literally standing inside of a cage. He was drinking the Diet Coke that I had given him. It was just staring at me, and I was staring at him, and it hit me like a ton of bricks when I was leaving that I was walking back out into the free world. I knew that in about an hour I would be sitting in an Applebee's, having a cold drink, and ordering whatever I wanted to eat. Meeting with Ed has changed my perspective on everything. Everything that I've done, every move that I've made in the last week has made me think of Ed. When I sat in that Applebee's and I looked over the menu, it occurred to me that Ed doesn't get to choose what he eats. He just eats what they give him. As I sat talking to Kim and Kyra and Zach... We could sit there and talk for as long as we wanted to, a luxury that Ed doesn't have anymore. I got in my rental car and went back to my hotel to change clothes, and I realized that Ed doesn't get to change clothes. He's been wearing a white jumpsuit every hour and every minute of every day for the last 18 years. 
Every little decision that I make in my life throughout my day makes me realize that Ed doesn't get to make those decisions anymore. He's told what to do and where to do it. I've taken for granted my whole life the freedoms that we have. When I finally got home late Tuesday night, I went into my house and wrapped my wife up in my arms. I kissed her the kind of kiss you kiss your wife when you haven't seen her for three days. I hugged my kids and I pet my dogs. All things that Ed's not allowed to do. It just makes me sad. All of it. It makes me appreciate even more what I have. But it breaks my heart to know that a good man who didn't commit this crime doesn't have these luxuries anymore. When I tucked my five-year-old Parker into bed, it hit me again that Zach's never had his dad tuck him into bed. He's never read him a story or taught him how to swim or how to outplay a full-court press. Zach's had to learn all of that on his own. Today's episode is all about Ed and Kim and Kyra and Zach. Every letter you send to Ed or to a congressman or a district attorney's office or to a newspaper, you need to know that all those things make a difference. Wearing your free Ed 8's t-shirt, sending in theories on the case to help solve it, helping me chase down leads. All of these things make an incredible difference, and I want you to understand who you're making that difference for. Ed is putting aside his anger. He's been mad for 18 years. It's a struggle every day, but he's fighting it. But my meeting with Ed and his family today has had the opposite effect on me. I got back on the plane on Tuesday to come home, filled with sadness. But that sadness has turned into anger for me. I can't help but think about the fact that the reason that this has happened to this wonderful family is because lazy detectives didn't want to do their job, and they couldn't leave a case unclosed, and because of an assistant district attorney that couldn't lose a case because it might affect his career. They took this good man, this good family, and used them as pawns for their own gain as though their lives don't even matter. I've now looked into Edward Eight's eyes, and there is not a killer in there. There's a good man who, despite everything that's been done to him, is trying to put that anger aside so he can show his family the joy and hope that they deserve. I hope that the men who did this to Ed Eights are listening to this right now. And I hope that inside you somewhere there is a tiny morsel of conscience If Ed is to have any possibility at leading a full, normal life, his fate is to rest in the hands of all of you, me, Allison Clayton, and Matt Bingham. This is a wrong that can still be righted, and I am more driven now than I ever have been. And I hope that every single one of you is behind me when I say that we will not stop fighting until we free Ed Eights. Just over two years ago, I introduced the Truth and Justice Army to a man named Edward Eights. For those of you that are new to the show, I'll take just a few minutes here to fill you in on Ed's case. In 1993, a woman named Elnora Griffin was brutally murdered in her home. She was found the next day by her neighbor and cousin, a wonderful woman named Johnny Pryor. Johnny's world was flipped upside down when she entered Elnora's house to find her cousin lying on the living room floor. She was completely nude, and her throat had been slit. A friend of Elnora's told police that she had spoken to her on the night of the murder. 
She says that Elnora had told her that she was sitting and talking to Edward. The Smith County Sheriff's Department immediately focused on Elnora's 25-year-old neighbor, Ed Eights. The crime scene was chock full of physical evidence. A phone had been ripped off the wall, there was a semen stain on the mattress, maybe even some semen on the body. There were hairs and latent fingerprints found all over the crime scene. Sure that they had their man, the police focused solely on Eights while they awaited results from the DNA and fingerprint analysis. Ed was stripped down and searched for cuts and bruises. The attack was so violent that surely the offender would have been injured. No such injuries were found on Ed. His shoes were even confiscated to test for blood. There was no way that anyone could have escaped that crime scene without getting at least some blood on their feet. About a month after the murder, results of the test began to roll in. Ed was ruled out as a contributor of the semen on the bed, none of the hairs on the scene were his, and none of the fingerprints were his. There was exactly zero evidence whatsoever that Ed had ever even stepped foot in Elnora's house. But by that point, the Smith County Sheriff's Department already had their mind made up, and they had missed their opportunity to check anyone else for injuries or blood. They had already spent a month building their case against Ed. The obvious suspect would have been Elnora's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Leonard Mosley. At the time of the murder, he was wrapped up in a love triangle, living with his girlfriend and baby's mother, Angela Walker, while still sneaking off to sleep with Elnora. Elnora and Angela had spoken on the phone just days before the murder and confronted each other, both believing that they were Leonard's one and only. The murder took place on a Thursday night. Leonard Mosley always visited Elnora on Thursdays after work, and in fact, he had left her a message on her answering machine earlier that day telling her that he would be by that night. But none of that mattered to Detectives Dale Huckel and Jason Waller. Through our investigation, it became apparent that the case that Waller and Huckel had built against Ed was constructed by misrepresenting facts and even possibly planting evidence. Ed was arrested, posted bail, and then waited nearly three years for trial, believing the whole time that the charges would be dropped. They couldn't possibly try him for a murder that he had nothing to do with. Until they did, in 1996. In Ed's first trial, the prosecution put on a pretty weak case to a Smith County jury. The result was a hung jury and a mistrial. Ed believed that surely this would be the end to his nightmare. And then two more years passed by. During the five years that Ed was free after the murder, he met Kimberly Miller. The couple fell deeply in love, and by 1998, they had married, bought a house, Kim had given birth to their daughter Kyra, and by the time the second trial began, Kim was pregnant with their second child. In this trial, the prosecution bolstered their case with a jailhouse snitch who claimed to the jury that Ed had tried to get him to lie for him and pin the murder on another man. Ed would not get to see his son Zachary's birth. The jury repeatedly told Judge Louis Gohmert, now a state senator, that they were hopelessly deadlocked over the course of three days. Gohmert issued two Allen charges during the deliberations, forcing the jury to continue deliberating until they have reached a verdict even after they had told him multiple times that they were, quote, hopelessly deadlocked. Eventually, the holdouts gave in, and the jury delivered a guilty verdict. Ed's world came crashing down around him. He was sentenced to 99 years in prison. His pregnant wife and his two-year-old daughter watched 
as he was dragged away in handcuffs. He would never see the outside of a prison again. Ed quickly burned through his direct appeals and took his one chance at post-conviction relief in 2010. When that appeal was denied, his case was deemed dead. After his first chance for parole passed by, Ed came to the realization that he would die in prison. They would never let him out unless he admitted guilt and showed remorse for the murder. And that was something that Ed would never do. He told me that he would rather die in that prison than to admit to a crime that he had nothing to do with. He told his wife, Kim, that she needed to move on. He was never coming home, and she needed to divorce him and build herself a new life. And as far as Ed knew, Kim had done just that. I found out about Ed's case from jailhouse snitch Kenny Snow. I had begun investigating Kenny's case in December of 2015 when he told me that he had falsely testified against a man named Ed Eights. Snow told me that he didn't know if the man was guilty, but he did know that he had lied on the stand. So I decided to write a letter to Ed, which he crumbled up and threw away when he received it. Over the years in prison, he's had many people offer to help for a fee and then take his family's money and never deliver. To say that he was skeptical is an understatement. About a week later, I sent a second letter. This time, Ed responded, and the Truth and Justice Army began our investigation into his case. Over the course of several months, I got to know Ed and his case very well. Two things immediately became apparent. Ed was probably the kindest, most gentle man that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And secondly... He was actually innocent of the murder of Elnora Griffin. Ed told me that he had written to the Innocence Project of Texas for help years before, but his request was denied. Since the Sheriff's Department was claiming that there was no physical evidence to be tested, there wasn't much IPTX could do. Ed was in a very dark place and didn't even know if he was still married to Kim. As time moved on, I reached out to Kim and as it turned out, she had never followed through with the divorce. She told me that she just couldn't bring herself to do it. And when I told her that I was working on reopening Ed's case, the couple reunited. Since then, Ed, Kim, Kyra, and Zachary have been closer than ever. With nearly daily phone calls and weekly visits, they've become as close to a functioning family as is possible behind prison walls. Next, I reached out to the executive director of the Innocence Project of Texas, Michael Ware. Mike was kind enough to give me the opportunity to plead Ed's innocence to him. And after a few phone calls and several trips to Texas, Mike agreed to take on Ed's case. IPTX attorney Allison Clayton was assigned to Ed, and the fight began. Over the course of a year, listeners from around the world engaged in this case. Everything that myself or Allison needed was provided by you. Whether it was a bouquet of flowers sent to Kim for Valentine's Day in Ed's name, or new basketball shoes for Zach on his birthday, serology experts, photogrammetry experts, and even funding for DNA testing, the Truth and Justice Army answered the call time and time again. Many of you contributed by simply keeping Ed's spirits high with letters and visits. 
His life was changed because of your kindness offered to a man that you've never met. A few months ago, I asked you to write letters to the Texas Parole Board on Ed's behalf. Allison and I were planning to petition for Ed's release based on his actual innocence. This is nearly unheard of in the parole world, but we were going to give it a shot. Armed with over 100 letters of support, Allison enlisted the help of a well-respected parole attorney named Roger Nichols. And she was even able to convince Nichols to represent Ed pro bono, another member of the Truth and Justice Army. With the daunting task ahead of attempting to convince the parole board to release Ed, with him continuing to claim his innocence, Allison, her team, and myself continued to work behind the scenes to prove Ed's innocence in the Texas courts. Over the last two years, we've experienced many ups and downs. Reinvestigating this case was like picking a scab on an old wound for Ed and his family. Hope, disappointment, joy, and anger came in and out like waves over the last few years. Then a few months ago, we experienced a terrible tragedy when Ed's mother, Margie, passed away in her home. Margie was quirky, feisty, and lovable all at the same time. As I sit back today and reflect on the last two years, I'm reminded of the last time that I ever spoke to Margie. She called me to chat while I was recording the season two finale episode. This was her final message to me and to all of you. I do want to thank all of you, and I wish I could thank y'all personally with one of my especially baked cakes, but it probably won't be big enough because it was so many of y'all helping us that you know, we just couldn't even count. But I do want you to know that I appreciate everything that you did. And I want to reiterate this statement. I know my baby is coming home. Now, when I say I think my son is coming home, can you say the same thing to me? Yes. Absolutely. I believe he's coming home. We're going to do everything in our power to make that happen. Thank you. Margie left this world without ever getting to see her baby walk out of that prison. But I made a promise to Margie on that day. A promise that I would never stop fighting for her son. And I believe that Margie Jackson is sitting right here beside me in spirit, waiting for this moment, when I finally get to tell you that Edward Eights is going home. Thursday morning, as Mike and I were sitting down to record this week's Season 5 episode, I got a call from Innocence Project of Texas attorney Allison Clayton. I answered the FaceTime call to see Allison covering her mouth with tears pouring down her cheeks. She could barely speak, but she managed to get the words out. Ed got paroled, and he's going home. We had just talked on Tuesday and Wednesday, and it had been a rough week. Allison had flown down to Dallas on Tuesday morning to speak on Ed's behalf at his parole hearing. After the hearing, she called me fuming mad. She and Roger, Ed's parole attorney, had handed over a large case file containing all of your letters and made the case to the parole board that Ed will never accept responsibility for Elnora's murder because he is truly and actually innocent. 
She felt that their pleas had fallen on deaf ears. The gentleman sitting across from them didn't seem to be impressed with their case. By Wednesday afternoon, the anger had turned to sadness. We both had to face the reality that if we didn't find clear DNA evidence, Ed very well may die in that prison. Allison and I have developed a very unique relationship over the last two years. We've now worked three cases together, and we definitely have our moments where we fight like brother and sister. But in moments like that, when nothing seems to be going the way that it should, we lift each other up, and we feed off of each other's energy. We ended the conversation no longer saddened, but rather determined. Determined to find a way, any way, to get Ed home. Then came the call. It's really happening. Ed is going home. Not in years, but in just 90 days. He's missed a lot, and the last 25 years have been riddled with tragedy. This, however, is the closest thing to justice that Ed has ever experienced. He'll never get back the years or the memories that were taken from him, but he will be home to celebrate Zachary's high school graduation. He'll be able to watch Zach play basketball and maybe even teach him a thing or two in the driveway. Someday, when Kyra gets married, Ed will be able to walk his daughter down the aisle. And after 20 years, he'll finally be able to take his wife out on a date. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I think that it's fair to say that I've grown maybe just a little too emotionally attached to Ed and his family. It was about a year and a half ago when Allison warned me. You have to put up a wall like you do with the people that you work with on the fire department. You can't get this emotionally attached, she said because you'll be destroyed if things don't go our way. Allison wasn't wrong, but unfortunately, I don't really possess the ability to follow her advice. For anyone who has ever questioned Allison's determination to free Ed, I'll let you listen in on a few seconds of our phone call. And also, I don't think she was able to quite detach herself any more than I was. You know why they let him out? Why? Someone was convinced that he was in because he shouldn't have been. It wasn't his time to get let out yet. Yes. Holy shit.
Once the emotions settled down, I was able to get both Allison and Roger on the phone to explain what in the hell just happened. The parole process in Texas is different than the other 49 states. It's somewhat closeted, cloistered, and most of it happens behind the scenes. There's no formal hearing as in other states where there is either a board member or a parole commissioner or a board designee who holds a formal hearing. You have the right to counsel being present and the right to call witnesses. And it's a little baby, uh, not necessarily a retrial, but a, a, a revisiting of the uh, of the offense and the progress that the, uh, the person has made while incarcerated. In Texas, that doesn't happen except when you hire a lawyer because you're not entitled to counsel uh, for uh, parole review purposes at all. You're not entitled to that. So an institutional parole officer who works for the parole board now goes out about three or four months before the parole eligibility date, and that's calculated by the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, that eligibility date. And they do an interview called a, a parole summary. And they do a social educational, criminal history, uh, anything that uh, the inmate wants to say about the offense, any comments, any new facts, or any just his or her side of the story. And that's put into the parole summary than it is now because everything's electronic. Now it's uh, transmitted to the parole board office nearest that person's assigned prison unit. There are seven parole board offices around the state of Texas, and those offices serve the prison units nearest them. That parole uh, summary, along with uh, court documents and other things that are supplied by the uh, Records and Classification Division of, of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, that's transmitted to the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, which, by the way, is a separate state agency. It is assigned to the first voter. There are three voters in each office. Of the seven offices, there are three. One parole board member, and two parole commissioners. Parole board members are gubernatorial appointees, and parole commissioners are state employees, and so they have you know, tenure at will until they wish to retire, whereas the, the uh, single parole board member in each office serves at the pleasure of the governor. So the file electronically transmits to an office, and in Ed's case, it to the Palestine office because he was in uh, in uh, Tennessee Colony, a little town outside of Palestine. And it was assigned to parole commissioner James Hensley. He is a uh, former army officer and a former uh, assistant district attorney and a former federal prosecutor. Pretty much a law and order guy. And he's a tough voter. Uh, he gave us a listen. He did rebut a few things because it's the nature of the prosecutors to call into question things that don't sound exactly as they recall them. So he did ask us a question about a particular element of Ed's biography, not about the uh, instant case. And I was able to rebut that more or less with a, a personal story that I think oiled that pretty well. Then there was kind of a, what I would call a minor miracle or a breakthrough in Ed's case. And I don't know how it happened, and I don't know why it happened, but I'm delighted that it happened. The other commissioner in the office, Paul Keel, uh, decided to, to uh, go out and interview him. In Texas, inmates are not entitled to an interview with a voter until they've been there 20 years. And I, I don't know why Mr. Henshaw didn't go, 
it doesn't really matter. I think it gave Ed more exposure to the voting panel by another commissioner going out to see him. And Mr. Keel's been in the parole business for a long time. He was a parole board member through the late 90s and until the reorganization of the board in 2004, he became a parole commissioner and has been voting cases ever since. He's been voting cases, I guess, longer than Ed was in prison. Uh, and he's, he's a good man. He also is a pretty tough voter. So, uh, when, when he was chosen to go out there, I was, I wasn't unhappy with that. I think I was, like I say, I was glad that two commissioners got to look at Ed, one on paper and through my presentation and through some testimony from, uh, Ms. Clayton. And another got to see him in person. When I take a case, first thing I do is I personally interview the client. I, I, I'm old and I am old school. I believe you have to eyeball a guy before you can represent him. When I interviewed Ed and I spent a good two and a half hours, maybe, maybe three, I don't know, a long time with him, I could not believe that Ed committed that offense. I just, I just couldn't. It is so out of character with the balance of his life from, from birth to today that I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my brain around that, which put me in sort of a pickle. Uh, and Ms. Clayton knows about this. I've been doing uh, personal representation of persons before the parole board for nine years now since I left the board. I was employed by the board as their assistant general counsel for six years. I've never had to say in a parole presentation, I don't believe my guy did it. So I was scared as a rabbit going into that interview. And I told Allison I was. But I've not done it in, in the entirety of my career representing people before the parole board. So his case gave me a lot of heartburn on that basis, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. But Mr. Henserling, who was the commissioner to which we uh, presented the case, listened. And like I say, he, he rebutted and tried to bat back a couple of things, but he, he was good natured about it. And uh, because we've all known each other for so long, uh, Mr. Henserling has been a voter since 2008. He's been voting cases 10 years. And so he was a commissioner for two years while I was still working for the board. So I was his lawyer years and now later i'm representing people in front of people who i've known for over a decade it happened really quickly i i have to say usually these votes take at least a week sometimes two and sometimes three weeks and as often in rare cases as a month but we presented to mr hensling on wednesday morning uh i forget what date that was i believe that was the 27th and then Mr. Keel went out to see Ed on Wednesday the 28th, and I don't know why I did. I just did it. I checked the Internet last night right after, uh, right, well, right before midnight. Cause I, went to bed I, left I checked it before midnight, and the the, uh, the prison records that are available online are updated daily. Then I got up this morning, and I was talking to a colleague on the phone about a parole question that he had for me. And while I was talking to him on the phone, I, I surreptitiously looked Ed's case up again. And there it was. It was, a, it was a vote, essentially, that occurred over a 40, depending on how you count the hours, less than 72-hour period, and he got a parole vote. I don't want to characterize it as a miracle. Uh, unless you believe in miracles, then go ahead. It is a miracle. It's just Ed was parole worthy, as I as I told the parole commissioner to whom we presented the case, please don't rely on the courts for a resolution 
and uh, the work that Allison Clayton's doing, because Ed is parole worthy. Those are two separate distinct issues. So I guess I have to believe that, that the voters took that to heart and they didn't look at what the courts might do in the future. They did the right thing right now and they found Ed to be parole worthy because he was an ideal inmate. He was, he worked for wardens. He worked in kitchens. He had on the job training certificates. And as I said to Mr. Henschling in my presentation, it's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of true. Ed was such a good inmate. He had everything except a set of keys to the gate. Ed earned his parole as much as I helped him get his parole. And I think everybody needs to understand that as well. Because Ed's a good man. He's a fine man. Well, I, a hard-working I, man. All I got to do was pitch it. And I agree with you 100%. I've had the pleasure of knowing Ed for just over two years now. And it's funny, I was reviewing some old uh, recordings that I had. And I, had, and I had said the exact same words that you just said, that when I met Ed and looked in his eyes, and and spoke to him there's not a killer in there that just doesn't exist inside of that man no i i agree with you completely you know they they got the wrong guy and they rushed to judgment uh and for now balls back in alice's court you know he's out and he's gonna well he will be out by june and will be reunited with his family and the only sad part about this is his son graduates from high school in may and he's got, he will have to be out by June. He might get out a little early. He's got to finish one class that, that the court, that uh, TDCJ and the board requires him to finish. If he finishes it early enough, he might make it out in time for his high, son's high school graduation, which I think would be pretty terrific. Well, and, and if not, I'm sure they can have one hell of a graduation party after he gets out. I, I got a feeling. I got a feeling. Roger, can you, can you weigh in at all or do you have an, any thoughts on? Other than what you just already told us, you said this is kind of, you know, bordering on miracle that this happened uh, this early in his sentence. Do you have any feelings as to what it was that would have pushed the board over the edge for Ed? Voters in Texas, because of the way the parole process works, and the voting works, it's rather like an assembly line. And I mean, those files come shooting down that line. And a lot of times they don't get as close a review as they might need. And that's the job of of a lawyer, when a lawyer is hired to represent somebody, is to stop the assembly line. What I do is, when I'm talking to potential clients, I liken it to that episode of I Love Lucy where she's working in the candy factory. And the little petty force and the bonbons come out and they start shooting out on the floor and she's stuffing them in her pockets and stuffing them in her mouth or rather like drinking water out of a fire hose. And, and those voters work very hard. They really do work very hard and they give those cases as much time and attention as they possibly can but when you hire a lawyer it really does stop the process and make them look at ed not some guy named ed who committed the murder along with seven other guys i gotta look at today who committed the murder i think that's that's the difference stopping the process and highlighting and ed did everything right and his his offense class was highest which you know puts him in a higher risk but his personal risk level as evaluated by the boards is low. And this is where Alton and I talked about this. It's art, not science. You don't know what your first voter is going to think until the minute he looks at the case. I mean, a person's life experience from birth until the minute they pick up a file 
has an impact on how they vote a case. That has an effect. So there are so many factors and so many variables. And how did it happen in two and a half days? In my opinion, because he deserved it. Let me real quick turn to Allison, if you're still there, Allison. Yeah, I'm here. If you could talk real quick, because you took on Ed's case uh, in 2016 after you know Mike talks with Mike Ware. Uh, Mike assigned you to the case, and that's when you and I met and started working. And you have doggedly worked on his case. Uh, I know you and I have been on the phone late at night, oftentimes just working your butt off on this case. And when we found out the parole was coming up in the midst of your work to prove Ed actual innocence, you had the idea to really push for Ed's release for parole and allow him to finish fighting this battle from outside. So can you talk a little bit about how you went about reaching out to Roger and getting Ed the representation that, that I think ultimately is what set him free? Sure. So I know from my work on Ed case, but in, in general in this area, that it takes a very, very long time, even if you're working ridiculous hours every single day it just takes a long time and that in the meantime I have poor Ed sitting in a very difficult unit incarcerated while his family is continuing to to grow up and they're without their dad and without Kim's without her husband and I you know whatever he needs to do to get home to them needs to be a priority for all of us on his team you know parole law in Texas is kind of like writ law in Texas. You really need to know what you're doing, and there's not a whole lot of people who really understand what to do. So, at least that I know of in Texas, there are not very many really good parole attorneys. There's just a handful of them. So, I knew that I needed, and I'm not one of those, so I knew that I needed to get Ed a bona fide parole attorney, and I know I personally know, I mean, maybe three or four. And, of course, Roger is a good friend. I consider him a good friend. Roger may not think we're good friends, especially. I think, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd give her power of attorney over my medical stuff if I were to be sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Roger, and Roger's always helped me out in the past in that if I've ever had a question, you know, he'll answer the phone, and I know he knows his business. And he is one of the few in Texas that I know who understands the role well, for the love of Pete, he used to work for the parole board. But much like I do with a lot of these areas, I cornered Roger at a conference, and I basically didn't let him go until he had agreed to at least look at the case. And he was kind enough to have a look at it and to, to spend the time that it takes. I mean, he didn't charge anything for this. And he had actual expenses, and, you know, he, he drove to Cofield and then, you know, made another trip to Palestine for the meeting that we had with the person who was voting in Ed's case. You know, those are, those are costs he covered himself. I mean, it's a real testament to his character that he understood what it was going to take and he agreed to help us out anyway, just because it was the right thing to do. And that's the other thing about Roger, you know, you got it, it's a very unique person that knows what they're doing, so has the professional acumen that is needed in a difficult case like this and has a high enough the kind of character to do it for free. And actually at a loss because he incurred those costs. He's the one who took those costs. 
And he was, I mean, he was just so good. He did a great job, clearly, because we have this incredible result in Ed's case. And Allison, this is the first time that I've spoken to you today when we're not both crying. <laughs> so now that now that I can form words into sentences, you know that you have my heartfelt thanks, and and it's it's been just an absolute honor and, and privilege working with you through this. And and I won't ask you to elaborate on what's going on right now because I know that you can't. But I I, I do want to point out to to everyone that's listening <laughs> that a year and a half ago when we finished the the season on Ed's case and the podcast, we told you that we would be continuing to work and fight behind the scenes. And I think this is evident of the work that, that Allison's been doing since then. And I also want to make crystal clear that this is still not over. We still have a fight. Allison's still fighting. I'm still fighting. And Ed being home during that fight is just going to make that process that much easier. That's right. So, you know, there's ethical considerations that I have on my part as an attorney. And I know that you and your, your listeners, especially, who've been so good to Ed, want to know what's going on in the case. And you guys don't know how badly I want to be able to call up and to say, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened in Ed's case today, or you wouldn't believe what we found, or something like that. But I just can't. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm bound by these ethical rules, and I can't. It kills me not to be able to share all of this stuff with y'all. But no, please do know that we have got so much more fight in us and in this case, and we're not stopping. This is by no means a stopping point for Ed. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking the time, for all of the time you've taken to do this work and, and taking the time to, to call up today. I know you both have busy schedules, but thank you so much, both of you, Allison and Roger. Thank you so much. I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate the, the work that you put into this. And I'm proud to be working with, with both of you. And thank you both so much. Thanks, Bob. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I cannot begin to express the gratitude that I have, not only for Roger and for Allison's relentless pursuit of justice, but also Michael Ware. As the executive director of the Innocence Project of Texas, Mike has a lot on his plate. The last thing that he needed to do was take a phone call from some random podcaster in Michigan. But Mike is an amazing man, and he did take the time. And he gave Ed a fighting chance for the first time in 20 years. And it's because of that one decision, that single gesture of compassion and kindness, and a genuine mission to pursue justice no matter what the cost, has culminated today with Kim H. finally finding out that her husband is coming home. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kim was calling me as I was hearing the news from Allison. I called her right back. A bumbling mess. Bob. Kim. Oh, you hurt. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? I just, Can you believe it? 
Oh my god. Oh. I can't even find the words. I just got off the phone with Allison. <laughs> oh, oh my I don't even know how to go back to this job and do anything. I don't even know how to go up there. <sighs> Wait till I tell a kid. Oh my god. Oh my god. Unbelievable. Once emotions settled down, I called Kim back later that evening. Still flying high from the news, Kim walked me through her day. Kimberly. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? Hello. Amazingly wonderful. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My goodness. Have you have you been able to make any contact with Ed yet? No. Oh, that's terrible. It is. One of the wives told me that they were locked down. So that's the only reason why I know they're on lockdown. Who told you that he's on, that they're on lockdown? One of his uh, friends' wives. Sometimes we ride down together. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was the one told me that they were on lockdown. Okay, and you talked to him yesterday, so that's a this is a recent event, the lockdown. So I talked to him yesterday morning. He was supposed to call me back last night and he never did so i guess the lockdown happened between yesterday morning and yesterday evening okay do you know anything about do you know if it's prison wide or if it's a scheduled lockdown or no i think it's prison wide uh somebody had a fight and i think it must have been a pretty bad fight so they locked down the whole unit okay well gosh hopefully they'll we'll find out soon because it's or uh it'll be over soon because at this point i was just talking to allison a little bit ago and we don't even know if ed knows yet I know. <sighs> the suspense is killing me. I'm sure. So have you talked to the kids yet? How did Zach and Kyra Sorry, react? So I sent uh, Kyra a text after I talked to Allison. I said, hey, call me when you can because she works uh, at a school. So she called me back maybe uh, 30, 30 minutes later. And I said, I have some good news. She said, what? I said, yes. She said, I don't want to guess, Mom. Tell me what it is. Is it about my daddy? I was like, yes. Just tell me. I said, daddy got parole. Oh, my God. She was crying. She was praising God. She was hollering. She was like, oh, my God. She was like, why couldn't you wait to tell me this when I got home? I said, I couldn't. I had to tell you. <laughs> I had to tell. I couldn't wait that long. And the only reason why I waited so long to tell Zach is because he couldn't have his phone at school. Oh, okay. So he was at my mom's house. So I directly after work, I went to mom's house. And Zach was there, has a friend with him, though. So I said, so I gave him the, uh, I went to the website, and, and it said that this offender uh, is no longer under review. Uh, he has been released. And it said, you know, he is scheduled to be released sometime June 2018. So I had Zach to read that. He was like, finally, finally. And he said, what does this mean? I said, your dad is coming home in June. So he hugged me, and I, I was crying. He was trying to hold back from crying because his friends was there, but he just kept saying, finally, finally. And we embraced for a long time, and, I mean, it was just it was beautiful. I mean, I'm so glad he showed some emotion because oftentimes he's so emotionless and nonchalant, so I was so thrilled that he showed some emotion. Well, that's awesome. So he is just... Everybody, my family are just ecstatic. Oh, my God. 
I'm, I'm, long overdue. Long overdue. Almost 20 years overdue. Yes, <clears throat> exactly. Yes. Well, I'm just, I'm just so happy for all you guys. And I'm sure, you know, from when I called you this morning, as you could hear, I was a bubbling mess yes. when I called. <laughs> I could hear it, and I could hear it in Allison's voice as well. It, well, it's, <laughs> like it. it's Allison's fault because normally when we <laughs> yeah. talk, we talk on the computer on FaceTime because usually we're, you know, mm-hmm. we're going over documents and stuff like that. And uh, the FaceTime came in, which was an odd time for it to come in. And I just, I hit, uh, answer on the, on the computer and the first thing i saw was her just with her hands over her mouth crying her eyes out and oh. it, it, and I, i've known her long enough to know that that wasn't a bad cry mm-hmm. uh and so she got me just going like immediately she, <laughs> yeah so she called me and i'm on the phone uh talking to uh trying to figure something out at work so i'm on the phone then i see her call i was like i can't send her the voice man i got to answer so i put the person i was talking to at work on hold and then Allison said, Kim, uh, you have a moment to talk? And, and I could tell in her voice it was good news. I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, Erica made the role. I said, wait a minute. Hold on, Allison. I went to the other lesson. Let me call you right back. <laughs> I said, Allison, just hold on. I'm walking out the building. I need to get outside. I, get out. I need to get outside. And I got outside. I said, are you serious? She was like, yes. I was like, oh, my God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm crying. I'm praising God. I'm just like, oh, thank you, God. I just, you know, you you thought about it, and I and I often think about what it's going to be like when I get that day. And now I got to experience that day, and I really can't even put it into words. I'm still can't believe it. And maybe maybe it'll it'll really hit home when I can hear hear it in his voice. I could tell him. And we can share that together, so maybe it'll become my reality then. I know it's true, but you know, I just, I just need for him to know it. I yeah. need for him to know it. It's killing me not talking to him either. I just want to hear his voice so bad. Yes, but what I can say is that conversation we had yesterday morning. He was very. He had a very good feeling about that meeting and the way it went. Very good. So that made me feel good. I just told him, I said, Elwood, you're coming home. I believe it. I know it's going to happen. You are coming home. I know it. And then not even 24 hours later, we get the news. I know. It's crazy. And that, and that, according to Roger, the, uh, the parole attorney, that in and of itself is just a miracle that it turned around that fast. It's all because of, because of them. You know, all of this started with you and the Truth and Army. And then the Innocence Project, Allison, and then Allison bringing on Mr. Nichols. It was just, oh, my God. It's just, you know, thank you will never be enough for you guys for all the work, the countless hours that you guys put into it. And I know you guys were doing it from your heart. You know, you just don't find people like that every day. And you took a stranger's case, somebody, you know, that you knew nothing of took this case, you dissected it, you got the Innocence Project involved, and now we are here, not even two years later, it's it's unbelievable. And we can never thank you, we'll never be able to thank you guys enough. You guys are just forever, ever in our hearts. I mean, I just, I, I can't say thank you enough. I can't even really express how I'm feeling. I just, 
It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, you know, but it's a good crazy. <laughs> well, you know, it's <laughs> it's time to start making some serious decisions. Like, are you going to wait till Ed gets home for Zachary's graduation party? Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, and and secondly, am I invited? Oh, of course. <laughs> Everybody is invited. Of course, we're going to do it big. You know, granted that he can stand to be around a lot of people. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what his feelings are going to be. You know, with a lot of people, but you know, we'll see. But definitely, you and Allison and some of the close. Uh, uh, Truth and Justice Army, yes, no doubt in my mind you guys are going to be invited. We're, we're going to have a celebration. I'm already thinking about, uh, you know, going to get his favorite drink, Cavassier. You know, <laughs> I don't even know where to buy that at, but I, I know that's his favorite drink. You know, I'm thinking, of, you know, I already have that here from some Coke, not Diet Coke. Because <laughs> I messed that up when <laughs> I got him the Diet Coke. Loves them. You know, uh, you know. Thinking of shopping, you know, just buying necessities. I wanted to go get all that today. It's like, Kim, just calm down. Slow your roll. <laughs> just calm. Breathe. It's just, you know, it's, it's surreal. It is so surreal. It really is. I, it I, really is. I just can't even imagine. I mean, I, I know the feelings that you know, that are going on here and the kind of the numbness for me. And I just, I just keep thinking, like, my God, like, Mike and I were just talking about uh, before we came back out to to work tonight, that like how like that's like your, your husband's coming home, Kyra and Zach's dad's coming home, and and just how amazingly exciting that has to be. Oh my god, it's so funny that you put it that way because my sister sent me me and Kyra a text, and she says Kim's husband is coming home, Kyra and Zach's dad is coming home. How good is that? It's so funny that you said that's exactly what she said. <laughs> I'm just like, it's unbelievable. Oh. Unbelievable. And I'm just so excited to see Ed live the life that he deserves outside of the yeah. outside of the prison walls and, and be able to just, you know, w- there was an episode a couple of years ago where I talked about, you know, some of the things that were just really breaking my heart to think, you know, someday Kyra is going to get married and Ed's not going to be able to walk her down the aisle and mm-hmm. Zach's graduation and it's, and it's just all of that can happen now. Yes, yes, it can, can and will. Yes, 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 it will, it will. Unfortunately, the person that I want to talk to the most was not able to reach a phone yesterday. Ed's prison went into lockdown the night before we got the ruling. During lockdown, no one is allowed to use the phone. And at this point, we don't even know if Ed has heard the news yet. But as soon as I hear from him, I promise that you will too. And if I close my eyes, I can already hear him laughing. That contagious chuckle of his when he's truly happy. None of this would have been possible without all of us working together. On January 1st, 2016, I walked away from my career as a firefighter because I no longer felt like I was making a difference in people's lives. As a chief, I spent more time crunching numbers than kicking down doors. On the heels of the success of the serial dynasty, I could not shake the belief that there is no one person who can change the world. 
Not a single person possesses the power, wealth, or clout to really affect change. But if ordinary people from around the world would just join forces to fight for a greater good, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. I received that call from Allison in the morning this Thursday, May 29th. Shortly after getting off the phone and wiping the tears away, I reached out to a woman that I've grown to love like a sister, Rabia Chowdhury. Rabia not only provided moral and public support for me as I transitioned from fire chief to podcast host, but she was also the impetus for the podcast serial, the one that started it all. After watching the documentary West of Memphis, Rabia had the crazy idea that if some journalist would give her friend Anan Syed's case some public attention, then maybe he could finally be freed from his wrongful imprisonment. Rabia contacted Sarah Koenig, and the rest is history. Once Serial ended, Rabia teamed up with a couple of lawyers-slash-bloggers who had been writing about the case. Rabia, Susan Simpson, and Colin Miller then joined forces to create the Undisclosed Podcast. The podcast dug deep into the weeds of Anand's case, and they donated their ad dollars to his defense fund. None of the three are practicing criminal attorneys. Nonetheless, because of their hard work and dedication, they broke the mold of the criminal justice system as we know it. And while I was talking to Rabia, and she was still wiping the tears from her eyes after hearing the news about Ed, she got the news that Anand Syed's conviction will indeed be overturned. March 29th, 2018 is a day that none of us should ever forget. This is the day that hundreds of thousands of selfless, kind, and caring human beings from all around the globe contributed everything that they had to give. Their time, their money, their expertise, and their support. And changed the lives of not only Adnan, Ed, Kim, Kyra, and Zachary, but you've changed the way that we view the world. In a dark place full of hate and ugliness, you are the light that gives us hope. I called our music man, Shane Yoder, from PutThemInASong.com in the early afternoon on Thursday to give him the good news. He was thrilled, of course, and told me that he'd be prepared by the next day to score, mix, and master this episode. But he didn't stop there. Six hours later, Shane did what Shane does. And he put Ed's story into a song. Goodbye, family. Goodbye, friends. Use a visit every now and then. Yeah, I messed up. I told a lie. But strangers tell them better when their job's on the line. If I say I'm a guilty man, I'll just be lying again. Hello, prison. Hello, guards. Please don't take offense when I curse behind your walls. Cause I'll be here for 99. Yeah, 
Yeah, I could take their plea deal But I don't wanna be that guy If I say I'm a guilty man I'd just be lying again The irony about it Is overwhelming me They took it all away But my innocence They let me And hello, hope All your belief in me Means more than you know Here's my chance To make parole Because of you they set me free And now I'm headed home They said if you're a guilty man We'd just be lying again Took it all away But my innocence They let me Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. And Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com designed and created our Season 5 logo. A special thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the -the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Rupp, and this has been Truth and Justice.